So it is our last week of our Spirit Month series, talking about the Holy Spirit. And so far we've talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. And last week we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. And this week we talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now why do this one last? Well, because there is a lot of disagreement around the presence of the Holy Spirit. Denominations have split over how they believe the Spirit manifests itself in the life of a Christian or in a church. Theologians fight over whether you're baptized in the Spirit, with the Spirit, or by the Spirit. And there is a shocking amount of legalism, rigidity, and pride on both sides of the Holy Spirit debate. And if that wasn't enough, then there's the language. So let's talk about the phrase, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now here are a variety of beliefs all about just this phrase. It refers to receiving the Holy Spirit at conversion. It refers to being filled with the Holy Spirit sometime after conversion. It happens once in a believer's life. It can happen over and over again in a believer's life. Believing this makes you Pentecostal. Or speaking in tongues is the first evidence of being baptized in the Spirit. That is six different beliefs all surrounding five words. That is a lot. And in fact, it's enough to just make you want to give up. And I think if we were honest... That's something that a lot of us have kind of done. We've just sort of given up on the Holy Spirit. Not rejected Him, but just don't want to think about Him. It's too difficult, too complex, too fraught with arguments. And hopefully, if you've been around, if you've been here the last two weeks, or you've watched online, or a combination of both, hopefully you've seen that when you miss out on the Holy Spirit... You miss out on God himself. And today I want to talk about a passage that is, does one of the best jobs at explaining what being filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit is all about. Now, but first I want to, I want to set forth my three primary biblical convictions about the Holy Spirit. So first is the, the work of the Holy Spirit is for today just like it was in the time of Acts. Second is, we receive the Spirit at conversion. And when we first believe in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, then the Spirit resides in you. And then third is, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit more or less over the course of our lives, months, weeks, even days. More or less, all depending on how much of ourselves we give over to God. So those are my assumptions. And you may agree with some of those. You may agree with all of those. You may never have thought about these. But that's where I'm coming from. Now, and it's this last one that I want to talk about today. Okay, being filled with the Spirit. So to help us understand that, we're going to look at a passage in Ephesians 5. Here's what it says. Be careful, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, 
because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it might seem like this passage is teaching against getting drunk, which it is, and which, by the way, is a consistent teaching all throughout Scripture. But more importantly, this passage actually explains what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. The drunkenness, that's just a literary contrast. Okay? Now, so to understand this passage in its, in its Greek context, you have to understand a little bit about the cult of the god Dionysus. So if you remember back to high school, Greek mythology, well, what we call mythology, they called religion. And one of the, one of the gods of the pantheon was Dionysus. Or you might, you might recognize him as Bacchus. Okay? And so he was the god of fruitfulness, orchards, and especially wine. So naturally, worship of this god involved wine. And a lot of it. So in fact, this is where it gets interesting. Followers believed that getting drunk in worship, as part of worship, allowed the spirit of Dionysus to possess their body and unite with them. And, so, and therefore, they would, through that, they would receive his strength, his wisdom, and his abilities, and also receive the power to follow his will. So their temple worship was often filled with heavy drinking, but also wild parties, rave dancing, and frequent sex. Now, this probably sounds outrageous to our modern ears. Because, I mean, let's be honest, okay? So it's a good thing nobody nowadays participates in frenzied dancing, raves of drinking, and sex, and... Uh, okay. Well, I just happened to describe Thursday through Saturday nights for a lot of people. <laughs> and we know because we see it on Facebook. So, when Paul wanted to talk about being filled with the Spirit, this is the context he chose to use to illustrate what it was like. So, Paul begins chapter 5 by encouraging believers to walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. And avoid sexual immorality. Stay away from other impurities like obscenity, greed, dishonesty. Then he moves into the passage that we just read. Saying that we need to be wise. That as believers we need to be wise. Because there is evil all around us. And it is so easy to do unwise things. So he says we need to be wise. And, and the way you do that is to understand God's will. And then, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So here's what he's saying to those Ephesians. Is he's saying, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and this is to the Ephesian church, so this would have been primarily Christians. 
when you put your faith in Jesus, God did an internal change in you. You're a new creation with a new heart and a new spirit inside you. You don't need to seek after the spirit of Dionysus. You don't need to be filled with wine to have that spirit of that God. Because God has already given you his spirit. Inside you, you are already filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be filled with wine. So you don't need to be like the Dionysians. You, you don't need to get drunk to allow God to inhabit you. Because God already gave the gift of His Spirit in you. That's the only thing you need to do to receive the Spirit of God, is believe. That's what He was saying to the Ephesians, and I think that's what He's saying to us. So there's, there's a frame of an idea in nature, that nature abhors a vacuum. And I think we're kind of like that. That we abhor, we hate a vacuum inside us. And because of that, we are filling machines. We will fill ourselves with something. Because nature abhors a vacuum. We hate, we abhor the emptiness of a vacuum inside us. So we will seek to fill ourselves with something. And that something, we, we long for what it will do for us and in us. So if we're honest, we aren't all that far removed from the Dionysians. But God has another message for us. You don't need to be filled with whatever you're filling yourself with. I have already given you my spirit. If you are a believer, you have my spirit. You can be filled with God himself. So if you are, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit resides in you. The spirit resides in you. But let me ask you. Is the Spirit locked away in some back room? Or does the Spirit have free reign in your house? Let's, let's think about that house metaphor for a little bit. See, this is you. All of you. We all have lots of rooms for the different areas of our life. Our work life, our home life, our personal life, our private life, our public life. We have our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We have our past, our present, our future. All of those are rooms in our house. Now, think about the Holy Spirit. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, where is the Holy Spirit in this house? Maybe you keep him locked away in a tiny little closet. See that little tiny closet up at the top? Maybe that's where you put the Holy Spirit. Because he's just too weird. You've heard too many conflicting things. You've had bad experiences with these people or that, those people. Or maybe, maybe growing up, your pastors told you that, that all this Holy Spirit stuff isn't biblical. It's wrong. It's evil. And so you just lock the Holy Spirit away in a closet. It's so much easier. You don't have to think about him. You don't have to really believe in him. 
let alone be convicted by him. And he's really easy to just ignore. Okay? Or maybe you have the Holy Spirit in a room. Maybe it's your religion room. Your Sunday morning room. And there it's safe and convenient. You don't have to say you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. You just don't have to engage Him all that much. Maybe it's, it's easy because He doesn't cause too much problem. Too many trouble. And, and if you don't really let him out too much, then he won't really bother you too much. Or, maybe you've leaned into life with the Spirit. And there's a whole lot of your house that you've given to the Holy Spirit. And you're, you, you've even tried walking in the Spirit daily. But there's still a few rooms you don't want to let him in. There are still a few parts of your life. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your future. Maybe your family. Maybe it's those private sins that you don't want people to know about. But there are some parts of your life that you want to keep secret. So you keep the Holy Spirit out of those rooms. Now, imagine what it would look like. Imagine the supernatural, the supernatural power that could come when you give your whole self over to the Holy Spirit. The whole house. No locked doors. No private rooms. But you give the Spirit full reign to your whole self. Your heart, mind, soul, strength. You give the Spirit your past, your present, your future. You give the Spirit your work life and your home life and your public No locked doors, no secret rooms. So how do we actually do that? It sounds great, but how do we actually do that? How do we let the Holy Spirit preside over you, not just reside in you? How do you allow yourself to be filled fully, not just partially, and not just a little bit? How do you allow yourself to be filled completely with the Holy Spirit? And not just once, but over and over again. How do you do that? Well, we're going to answer that question over the next month. Over the next four weeks in October, I'm really excited that we're going to be doing a whole series on an amazing book called Soul Care. And in fact, my wife, Tampoa, who you saw earlier, is she's going to be teaching all four weeks of this series at both campuses. We'll alternate live on one campus, video on the other, and, and switch off every week. So you're going to have four weeks to learn how to answer that question for yourself. What does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it look like to let the Holy Spirit preside 
over you, not just reside in you. That's what the Soul Care series and the Soul Care book is all about. But for today, I'm going to just start you in that direction. And I'm going to tell you two things that we need to stop doing if we want our lives to be filled with the Spirit. If we want to walk in the Spirit daily. There are a couple things we have to stop doing. And the Bible actually tells us very clearly two clear commandments about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So, these two things are we shouldn't grieve the Spirit and we shouldn't quench the Spirit. Both of those things keep us from fully experiencing life with the Holy Spirit. So, let's talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, grieving the Holy Spirit means we make the Holy Spirit sorrowful or sad. I talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about the person of the Spirit. Ephesians 4 says this, Do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that, they may benefit, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we rebel against God and we rebel against God's creation. And we use our words to hurt another person or hurt a group of people. And like I mentioned two weeks ago, when you hurt someone with the wor- your words, you hurt the Holy Spirit. So the next one is, the next thing we have to stop is, we have to stop quenching the Holy Spirit. Now, you might think quenching, you, th- you might think of thirst, quench the thirst, but that's, that's different, okay? This one is this idea of extinguishing or suppressing the Spirit of God. Here's how it describes in First Thessalonians. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. You see, the the word quench conjures up an image of putting out a fire, like dousing it with water. And we, we all understand this idea of what it's like to quench a flame. Flames are wonderful, but if you put enough pressure, it's very easy to quench a flame. And that's what we can do with the flame of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was described as a flame descending down on people. We can quench that flame. We quench that flame. Now, quenching the Spirit is preventing Him from acting and doing what He's supposed to do. And if being filled with the Spirit means that we allow Him complete access to our house. 
to all that we do, complete access to move and control and direct us wherever He wants, then quenching the Spirit is, is locking Him in a room. Quenching the Spirit is preventing Him, not rejecting what He says, how He guides us. It's preventing Him from doing what He was meant to do in us. That's quenching the power of the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit preside over you, not just reside in you. Does the Spirit reside in you? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower, a disciple of Jesus, then yes, the Spirit resides in you. That is the gift, the promised gift of God to His followers. And if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, then all you have to do is say yes to Him. And you can receive this same promised gift of the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, but does the Spirit preside over you. The Spirit can reside in you, but does He preside over you? Is He over your whole life? Do you give Him your whole house? Or do you lock Him away in just part of the house? Or a single room? Or a tiny little closet? Does He preside over all of you? I want to close with a benediction of sorts. This is one of the other benedictions in the New Testament from Romans 15-12. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, fill us. Take every room, every part of us, everything we have been, everything we will be, everything we think, and say and do, Holy Spirit, we give to you. Let us hold nothing back. God, prevent us from quenching your power and your work, your flame in us. Holy Spirit, let us not grieve you with our, our cruel words to other people. Holy Spirit, we need you and we need more of you in our lives. So let us open doors. Let us turn on the lights and let you move freely in me. Freely in us. 
Spirit, fill us. Fill us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.